0: Welcome to What Makes Up Your Mind, updates from the frontiers of neuroscience, well-being and mental health from the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at Stanford University's School of Medicine. This is your invitation to meet the faculty dedicated to understanding our most complex organ, committed to curing mental illness and inspired to help create a healthier, thriving world. Hello, we're happy you're joining us again for more of What Makes Up Your Mind. I'm Jane McMillan. As Americans, we often refer to our society as the great melting pot, with our unique strengths and gifts that we as a community receive from our diversity. Ethnic diversity, religious and spiritual diversity, gender, age, abilities and challenges, And more and more, that kind of inclusiveness is starting to encompass individuals with non-neurotypical brain function. Those who may have autism or Asperger's, attention deficit disorder or other neuro conditions. Slowly but surely, the capabilities and talents of those considered neurodiverse are being recognized and they're being sought after, particularly in the workplace. More and more firms are starting to see the inclusion of neurodiverse team members as a competitive edge yet the unemployment and underemployment rate for those on the spectrum remains incredibly high and that's a barrier to independent living and quality of life the stanford neurodiversity project in the department of psychiatry and behavioral sciences is working to change that by promoting non-neurotypical individuals and maximizing the potential of neurodiversity in society, specifically in education and in the workplace through its Neurodiversity at Work program. Dr. Lawrence Fung is the director of the Stanford Neurodiversity Project, as well as the Adult Neurodevelopment Clinic, which offers mental health care. And he serves as Assistant Professor of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences. Dr. Fung, thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you for inviting me, Jane.
0: Very appreciative of your time. Tell us about the term neurodiversity. Let's start with that because we've heard uh, about, the general public has has heard about autism and about Asperger's and about uh, individuals who may be on the spectrum. But what does all of that mean and is encompassed in this term neurodiversity?
1: Yeah, so neurodiversity had been used as a term that's almost the same as autism before. And in the past, uh, very high functioning individuals on the spectrum used that term. And uh, right now, we, we are defining neurodiversity in a way that is more uh, general. Uh, it's more about really the diversity of brain differences and behavioral differences as part of the normal variation of the human population.
0: So neurodiversity, what someone would call normal neurobehavior patterns that's just a place on the spectrum and individuals with autism or Asperger's and different functioning levels that's just another part of this great spectrum that some of us call normal or not normal but really it is Yeah, we
1: are all on the same big spectrum yeah and uh, neurodiverse conditions that we refer to would be including autism dyslexia Uh, attention deficit, hyperactivity disorder, and uh, perhaps other conditions, neurologic conditions and psychiatric conditions as well. But our work has been focusing more on people with autism, dyslexia, and ADHD.
0: And the focus of your work really is to help these individuals excel, live independently, and to help those not on this spectrum recognize Mm -hmm. what they have to offer, how they are part of our greater society and and should be more included, especially in the workplace. Mm -hmm. Tell us how you're going about doing this. I think it's probably easier to understand how your work might be geared towards supporting those with a neurodiverse outlook or with special skills. But what about those of us who don't have them but also don't know how to be partners, be coworkers, recognize that, that it's not such a huge difference between us. How do you do that in mm-hmm. your work?
1: What we are initially trying to do is to make examples that people can relate to. We talk about people that have social interaction difficulties. And one person that we remember is uh, Albert Einstein a brilliant scientist that changed the world basically his brain is his laboratory and because of his work we all benefit as a society uh, we know that is not so good uh interpersonally he's not very good growing up verbally he didn't actually even speak until four and when um his elementary school teacher was talking with his parents the school teachers are not expecting much from Albert Einstein, but look at what he can do.
0: So it's the social and communication piece, and those of us who do not have autism or who are not on the spectrum, for us to recognize and get over that as well and get to the person Mm -hmm. who's there and the skills and the gifts that they have to offer. Um, Your work involves not only supporting students who, here at Stanford, who are neurodiverse, but also expanding the placement for neurodiverse individuals in the workplace. Maybe mm-hmm. we could discuss what the challenges are, what some of the solutions are that you've found, and what workplaces can do, coworkers, managers, can do to make it welcoming and benefit from the gifts of a neurodiverse individual. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. There are already some companies that are starting to create specialized employment program for individuals with autism. So companies like SAP, Microsoft, uh, DXC Technology, JP Morgan Chase, uh, Ernst & Young, those are the um, key companies that have uh, this autism at work program. So what they have been doing is to really focus on certain groups of people that are are very good at certain skills that their companies are looking for talent. And individuals on the spectrum can have many, many different kinds of skills, skills related to sciences and engineering. It can be arts. It can be entertainment industry, some people that have uh, really amazing voices like Susan Boyle is on the spectrum. So there there could be a a big range of talents. So basically, what we are trying to do is really to uh, understand the drains in great detail and also try to match what the employers are going to be requiring them to do. What we know is that there are a lot of uh, challenges that the neurodiverse individuals have in terms of interviewing. They typically don't have the best first impressions because of the typical interview process that involve a lot of the open-ended questions. Say, for example, tell me about yourself or tell me about your five-year plan what are your strengths and weaknesses
0: I hate those questions right. too but that would be yeah very difficult the open ended ones for for anyone but especially for somebody who is not comfortable communicating mm-hmm. openly especially with strangers mm-hmm.
1: so what we try to convince employers is that those open-ended questions are not going to be helpful for these neurodiverse individuals. So in a way, uh, giving them the accommodations of not asking these open-ended questions. And the benefit is that if you are focusing on the match of the qualifications and the job requirements, then you can find someone that will be able to do the work well and uh, you cut all the, uh, the rest of the unnecessary things that an in- interviewer can easily use to dismiss someone. Mm-hmm. So this is one strategy uh, that we are using on, on employers. We also uh, get the employers to really believe that uh, the, the main thing is about the environment. When neurodiversity becomes something that you're living and you're breathing every day, that's really inclusion and that's that's really practicing neurodiversity. In order to do that, our strategy is to get the employers to speak with their groups. I speak to uh, a lot of different companies that are interested in neurodiversity. And oftentimes they say, it will be nice if I hear your talk like five years ago, I have employees that are probably on the spectrum. And sometimes they want to offer opportunities for neurodiverse individuals. So for those jobs, we can help with curating the position requirements, the descriptions of the jobs, and the employers will be able to remove all the unnecessary items that are typically not the most important for that job, and uh, this is a good strategy because for neurodiverse individuals, they're very concrete. They see a a job description, and uh, sometimes when uh, there are certain items that they think they cannot do, then they think this should not be a job that they apply for. So they basically would lose that opportunity because of the unnecessary information in the job description. So this is an additional strategy that we use in our interaction with the employers. When we get to the point that the employers want us to uh, help them with the rest of the steps in the employment process and also after the onboarding, then we would teach the employers, the managers, and the team, the team members on the best practices, best practice in the interviewing, as well as best practice for the day-to-day work after onboarding.
0: That's really important that you go from the initial point of helping the neurodiverse individual apply, be matched properly, get ready for the interview, and then you help all parties with the onboarding and acclimation. What are some of the challenges that employers and managers might say to you about helping their current group or team get ready to be supportive of a neurodiverse individual joining them?
1: Uh, some of the common challenges, first, they don't have the experience. They would say there's a good idea. Most of the time, they, they would think this is a good idea, but they are not exactly sure what they are going to be getting into. So that's kind of the common problem of the unknown. So other than that, there is not really a major obstacle. Most employers and the teams that uh, speak with us, usually they are very welcoming. And the last couple of years that we have been doing this work, we have not really heard anybody that said this is a bad idea because... Neurodiversity basically is really just one of the diversities. And it's just another way of really expanding our, our horizon on how we can capitalize the idea of diversity. And this is a new way of thinking about things for some people. But when they are looking at uh, their surroundings, especially in the Silicon Valley, uh, a lot of the companies already have neurodiverse employees that are very successfully working in the midst. So when we are talking about some of our observations, they can relate to it. They can already accept that this is something that is already happening. But if we can make it even better for the people that actually don't have the opportunities because they are not as lucky to get a job, 80% of individuals on the spectrum are unemployed or underemployed. So uh, as much as there are individuals on the spectrum that are very successful and are working, there are many others that are not.
0: Well, and that goes back to being included in not only in the workplace, but if you're gainfully employed, you are able to be independent, you're able to, to live a different life, you're able to be more socially independent. I mean, it, it impacts everything
1: in Absolutely. terms of quality of life. Absolutely, and for individuals on the spectrum, Social interactions is really the core challenge. When we think about our own identity, everyone's identity is really is getting to your core, right? Yes. And for a lot of uh, people that are more neurotypical, for lack of a better term, there is more component of the social part of their identity. The work part may be uh, also very important. But for a neurodiverse individual, because of the challenges in the social interactions, the identity generated from the work part can be the most important part.
0: That can become the core yeah, of their Yeah, it can self- be
1: the core of their, their identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when individuals on the spectrum are growing up based on the strains that they have and be able to use their strains to actually get a job and they can really form their identity in a healthy way. When individuals on the spectrum don't have that opportunity, the identity formation can be a challenge.
0: Which also, I'm guessing that you tell me that that goes back to making the social and communication piece even more difficult.
1: Yes. Yeah. When someone is able to use their strengths and interests and they have the work colleagues that can talk about their, maybe they're they're passionate about their work and they want to talk about their work, and that can be how they relate to other people uh, through the work and things that they are interested in.
0: Part of the neurodiverse movement, as I was doing some research on this before we spoke, brought up the, the misconception that, and I don't think We have it as much now that we know more, but in the past, perhaps the misconception of intellect or IQ being tied to the communication socializing piece of of how we measure whether somebody is intelligent or where on the scale of intelligence someone is. And you've talked about in in your grand rounds and some other of your writing about this other model Mm -hmm. to look at how to measure different intelligences that we all have many. And for me, that helped put all of this into perspective. Would you explain the other intelligences? Yeah,
1: so Dr. Howard Garner uh, at Harvard University uh, is a a professor of education that uh, talk about the theory of multiple intelligences. So basically, in addition to IQ, that can measure verbal abilities, measure like visual-spatial abilities, and uh, some mathematical abilities, logical abilities. But there are other abilities like musical abilities, naturalistic abilities, like how people work well with nature. Mm-hmm. Like some people work really well with animals. Yes and I would be able to communicate with them well. And interpersonal abilities, uh, that's not captured in IQ. Intrapersonal abilities, so intrapersonal is understanding about self, interpersonal is the relationship with others. And there is also the kinesthetic abilities, like some people with athletic Mm -hmm. abilities, that's not in IQ, Uh, it's not measured in IQ. And there are a number of very prominent athletes like Michael Phelps um, has uh, ADHD. And he would say because of the ADHD, he actually would be more able to do his work better when he's in the swimming pool. And there are other uh, football players that have ADHD that said the same when they're in the football field because of their ADHD. They see all around, if they are like too focused on certain things, they would miss things. So uh, ADHD becomes one of their assets.
0: It's another spectrum. It's the spectrum of intelligence, not the spectrum of stumbling blocks. It's the spectrum of gifts and right. abilities.
1: Yeah, so on one hand, you can see that if we are only looking at one or two of these abilities, and neglect the rest. And if everyone is measured the same too, then a lot of people with gifts that you are not measuring, they would not be able to get to where they are. So if we are to explore more broadly people's abilities and try to develop their abilities, then they can focus on what they are good at, believe that they can have something that they can achieve. Uh, say, for example, individuals on the spectrum have some challenges in terms of their flexibility. Sometimes people would describe them as having perseveration. They are not flexible. But when we are trying to help these people that have this trait to develop their strengths, this may be the same exact thing. It can actually turn out to become persistence. Persistence will be something that we would all really value if someone is able to really finish their work, their project because of their persistence. This can be a really, really good worker and this person may actually see the end of the project and be able to accomplish something that other people may not be able to. And same for other traits like seeing the big picture is a really common problem. For individual on the spectrum, but if your problem that uh, you want them to solve is really about the details, who cares about the big picture?
0: That's someone else's job,
1: right? That's someone else's job. So basically, the uh, the the way we are looking at how to use the intelligences, the multiple intelligences, on one hand, is to be more broad and to also use ways of focusing on how to develop neurodiverse individuals so that they can develop their traits more toward their strengths. Mm-hmm. So that would need a little bit of training. For Sometimes yeah. employers may not necessarily be able to appreciate that right away. It's not completely intuitive. But uh, after a little while, they get it.
0: So that's leveraging what's perceived to be a challenge into a trait that someone else might not be able to offer in the workplace.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: You've been very successful with this being very careful in matching properly individuals with the right positions and framing the strengths to the positions. What do you see are the biggest obstacles to overcome to lessen that massive number of 80% on and underemployment in the neurodiverse community.
1: Yeah, so one um, one thing that we first need to recognize that there are millions of people on the spectrum that are looking for jobs. And for most organizations that are trying to match people uh, on the spectrum to the positions that are suitable for them, a lot of the time they're uh, working with very small numbers. So you may not actually get the right match very quickly. It's Mm -hmm. not very effective. And if everyone is working with small numbers and you're not really telling each other uh, that you can help each other, then everyone is working in isolation and the neurodiverse community cannot really benefit as a whole. And the employers who are wanting to be uh, exploring this initiative cannot really benefit so basically, our project is trying to really solve this problem by creating two major entities. One is the Stanford Neurodiverse Candidate Registry and the Stanford Neurodiversity Job Bank. What we are trying to do is get as many candidates into the candidate registry as possible and as many jobs to the Job Bank.
0: So this would be jobs that are open on the Stanford University campus?
1: These will be jobs that are at Stanford University. It could be from Lucille Packard Children's Hospital, it can be from Stanford uh, Hospital, also the neighboring companies. Okay. Currently, our catchment area, so to speak, is uh, California. Oh, all Um, right, so this is
0: a much broader than just Stanford. It's sponsored by your work at Stanford, this Job Bank.
1: Uh, yes. but it's yeah. open
0: to everyone.
1: Yeah, Autism Speaks has funded this study. And prior to having this grant, uh, we also got a very generous gift that got us started. But the Autism Speaks grant is really catalyzing our effort. And now we are charged to help facilitate the hiring of 80 people on the autism spectrum in the next three years. And those jobs can be at Stanford or outside Stanford. And in our dealings with uh, the neurodiverse individuals, there are many things that we need to support. And sometimes we do need to include mental health providers or job coaches and other professionals. So having the boundary of California would make us more able to operate without having a lot of problem. And we want to get to the 80, uh, the number 80, by three years, hopefully earlier than that. So we don't want to limit to only Stanford jobs.
0: It seems that the three-year study in these 80 individuals, that that process is going to help people like you and others working toward reducing the number of under and unemployed Mm-hmm. individuals on the spectrum, uh, to, to really ramp that up in a much bigger way, in a faster way. Yes,
1: exactly. So, replicate it. so what, what I'm uh, hoping is that we are going to have many, many more jobs and many, many more candidates. And, and the job bank uh, and the candidate registry can benefit a lot of people. And Stanford would just happen to be focusing on studying 80 people. We will be facilitating some activities in both the candidate registry and the job bank, but a lot of the benefits will be going to other organizations.
0: And you also work with Stanford students who are neurodiverse. And we're talking about jobs and quality of life, but so many of the general public, regardless of skills or challenges, will go through the university system or a college system first to prepare for work. And a school like Stanford, of the highest echelon, That's a lot of stress for, a lot of challenges and stress for any student. Mm -hmm. What do you find in your work with the neurodiverse student population at Stanford? What are the biggest challenges and and what are the supports that they need?
1: Right now, we are really in the early stage of the uh, neurodiverse student support program. We just launched the program in the summer. From what we know in the literature, the prevalence of autism in college campuses is between 1 in 40 and 1 in 140. So most likely there will be hundreds of people that potentially would receive benefit from us uh, or have the potential of receiving a benefit from us. So far, what we are trying to do is to help them with uh, transitioning from high school to the Stanford campus and also knowing about campus life. We actually have trained peer mentors who are juniors and seniors at Stanford who know about the university uh, a lot and we train them to support independent living skills and the social life and so forth. So I hope that because we proactively train the peer mentors and help these neurodiverse students so they are not saying that they have these problems. Mm -hmm. But social life and independent living skills are classic problems that uh, individuals on the spectrum have. In, in college campuses. And that's a fact that's reported over and over.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. For uh, anyone who's listening who has somebody on the spectrum in their lives, and they're not at Stanford, they're not students here, perhaps they don't have the support network of a job yet, how should they begin? Where, sh- where should they go to get some information and get some help on maybe getting their loved one into a program, into an internship, and into some job placement help?
1: So I would say if they're in California, they definitely they can consider contacting the Stanford Neurodiversity Project. We can point you in the right direction. Maybe we can help as well. In terms of social skills and so forth, and the work skills, the social skills that would be required at work and so forth, there are pre-employment programs that can be helpful. And they are offered at uh, many places in California and around the country. And I I think it is probably the next best thing, but the better thing is to prevent having these challenges. So if uh, the loved ones are still in college, it's going to be very helpful to get their loved one supported uh, some kind of internship, for example. If during internship there are people that are able to to help with teaching these neurodiverse individuals about all the work etiquettes and uh, some of the soft skills that they need, that can be very helpful uh, during a short experience. And when neurodiverse individuals are gaining confidence, I mean, just like anybody else, then they would be very confident that they can do the real regular job when they graduate. And if there, uh, if there is enough of those opportunities for them, the employers may think, oh, this guy actually is terrific. And they may even want to take them uh, after they graduate. So th- it won't be too early to start even from high school, like after 16 years old, if a neurodiverse high school student can volunteer and start getting involved in some organizations that value neurodiversity, that's all going to be a helpful trajectory.
0: By the time they're ready to go look for work, they'll have so much more experience. Mm -hmm. All good advice. We'll make sure that we have a link to your neurodiversity work. Dr. Fung, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Jane. Dr. Lawrence Fung is the director of the Stanford Neurodiversity Project, as well as the Adult Neurodevelopment Clinic, which offers mental health care. He also serves as assistant professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences. If you'd like more information on his Neurodiversity at Work program and access to those resources, we've got the links for you in our program notes. We're grateful you spent this time with What Makes Up Your Mind, and hope you join us again. I'm Jane McMillan. You've been listening to What Makes Up Your Mind. Updates from the frontiers of neuroscience, well-being, and mental health from the experts in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at Stanford University School of Medicine. For more information on this program and all of our transformational work, visit us at med.stanford.edu psychiatry. What Makes Up Your Mind? Updates from the Frontiers of Neuroscience, Well-Being, and Mental Health is a production of the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at Stanford University School of Medicine, a copyright of the Board of Trustees of Stanford University.